When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 133, and we are recording on May 22nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington and my dog, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. (laughs) Is Lola joining us today? She is. She is. She's sitting at my feet. Which inevitably inevitably means she's going to get bored and get up and make a bunch of noise. So I just wanted everyone to know (laughs) that that was happening. Oh, Lola. I finally met her. You did. That's right. I can't believe you had never been to my house. I know. But now I have. Mm -hmm. And you've met my mother. (laughs) I met met your mom. I met the minions. Yep. I met your teenager. I met everybody. Mm -hmm. Jen was fully immersed in. Yes. For prom night, no less. (laughs) Yes. I was so frantic that night. Where are her nails? Where are her false eyelashes? What's happening? (laughs) It was great. It went well. The pictures are very nice. Oh, good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what you reading? I am reading The Wrong Stars by Tim Pratt, which finally came in at the library. And it's been so long since I requested it that I literally don't remember why I requested it. That's Mm. happened to me many times before. And this is just another case. Um, But it's one of those uh, sort of found family space books. So it's about a crew of... Humans and post-humans, according to the description. One of them is, like, mostly cyborg. Um, Who are doing salvage work in the solar system. And they find a wreck. And it's, like, a centuries, like, a 500-year-old spacecraft from what would be basically, like, our near future. Um, So this takes place, like, hundreds of years in in our potential future. Um, And there's a survivor still on this, like, way too old to still be around spacecraft and they wake her up and she's like aliens we made first contact and they're like okay so who wants to tell her that we've been trading with aliens for 300 years (laughs) (laughs) and that's as far as i got um but oh well i got a little bit farther than that so it turns out that the aliens she's talking about are not the aliens that they're talking about so there's this like oh what happened to her and how did she get here and what's uh, do we need to be afraid of these other aliens etc etc so aliens you know it's a thing i like so so far i'm I'm on board. Um, it's The Wrong Stars again by Tim Pratt. Cool. Mm-hmm. I am rereading, or I just finished rereading last night, The Mothers by Britt Bennett, which came out a few years ago and I loved so dearly. Uh, and the, what do you call it? The like female only, female identifying only co working space in Richmond that I'm a member of uh, wanted to start a feminist book club. And so I volunteered to run it. And this is our first book. Um, so our first meeting is tomorrow. So I had to frantically reread it. <laughs> I was going to say, you would never reread things. I know. I never do. I never do. Um, and I wasn't going to. I thought, oh, I remember, you know, enough. But then I was looking through the reviews and was like, oh, I don't remember any of this. No, <laughs> sure don't. I don't remember that plot point. I don't remember that character. Like, I remember that there's a, a big plot point centered around an abortion and that the church, the older women in the church where the main character attends, narrate it like a Greek chorus. And that was all I could remember. So I reread the whole thing. And it's, st- it's you know, it's still amazing. It's still great. All of my feelings that I had about the book being great were accurate. So. Nice. Yeah. 
Okay, moving on. How the show works. Uh, as I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you send us your reading recommendation requests. You can email them to us at getbookedatbookguide.com or drop them in the form in the show notes uh, on the site. Um, the form is at the bottom of the show notes. And it, this can be really anything. If you need a recommendation request for yourself, for your book club, you need to give a gift to somebody, whatever, you can send any and all of those to us. We might email you back if we've already answered your question on the show. If your question is time sensitive, please note that in the subject line or in the very first line if you use the form, uh, the very first line of your request. Use big capital letters. Um, we might email you back with those too if we're not going to get to it in time on the show. Um, so that is how the show works. Before we get into our first question, we have some feedback and a giveaway. Um, the giveaway that we're running on the on the site right now is for a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. Um, so just make sure you pick one that has gift cards, I guess. Um, so you can go to bookriot.com slash bookstore 500 with the numbers not written out bookriot.com slash bookstore 500 to enter and the giveaway will be open until January 19th or January June 19th it is not open for a year that would be <laughs> nonsense June 19th so you have a month to enter uh, we're gonna pull one winner and just send you 500 bucks and I want to see a stack of the mm -hmm. books that you buy we ran this similar giveaway in October and I got no pictures of a stack <gasps> and I want to see it I want to see it so if you win please remember that I have made this formal request on the air. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Good luck with that. Um, and so our feedback is we had a, a listener asking for books about uh, end of life assisted suicide or anything relevant to that kind of topic. And we had a reader named Kelly who recommended Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant by Roz Chass, which is a graphic novel or graphic memoir um, discussing the complications of, be of like end of life care um, as far as the author's experience with her own parents go. She doesn't directly talk about um, assisted suicide or anything or, or anything like that specifically, but one parent does opt out of a surgery. So there, and then another one is is very resistant to being put in a nursing home. So it does address like choice um, during end of life care, thinking about end of life care. So that is, can't we talk about something more pleasant by Ross Chast? Okay, so Jen's going to tell us about our first question, and then we will get rolling. All right. First question is from Quinn L., who says, I am a literature and linguistics double major, and I'm going to be taking five classes at an intensive this summer. Oh, my gosh. I'm tired just reading that. <laughs> uh, I'm looking for books that are easy to read and really draw you in. I love The Vacationers, The Secret History, and The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. Potato Peel Pie Society. I never get that one right. And I'm also a huge fan of classics, but want something a bit easier to read than that. I'm also looking for fiction books that take place during the rise of Irish nationalism in the 1910s. I'm reading Yeats and Joyce and like books that will fill in a bit if a bit of background information. All right. Before we get to our answers, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which is Candlewick Press's new adorable picture book called Julian is a Mermaid. It's by Jessica Love. And it is about a little boy named Julian who was riding the subway home from the pool with his abuela one day. And he notices three women on the subway who are dressed up like to the nines. Their hair is multicolored. Their dresses have fishtails. And they're just so happy hanging out, dressed up like mermaids in the subway car. And if you've ever been on a subway, I feel like you've maybe had a similar experience. So Julian gets home and he starts daydreaming about all of this like joy that filled this train car when he was looking at these ladies and all he wants to do is dress up just like them in his own mermaid costume so he uses a yellow curtain for his tail um, the fronds of a potted fern in his grandma's house for his headdress um, and then of course he gets a little nervous about like what will his abuela think when she sees all this giant mess that he's made and also what is she going to think about how he sees himself in this uh, lovely butter yellow curtain mermaid costume so it's mesmerizing and full of heart and it is just a 
Jessica Love's author illustrator debut. And she herself is um, a Broadway actress. So you might recognize that name. So yeah, go check that out. Julian is a Mermaid by Jessica Love. I just want to say that I brought this to my niece over mm. a family weekend trip, and she is about three, and she loved it. It's so beautiful. The art is gorgeous. Yeah, nice colors. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice. Okay, so I'm just keep going. Um, I picked a classic for you, even though you said maybe not that, uh, but it is easy <laughs> to read. You said classics, but that you were looking for books that were easy to read and that draw you in. So I picked Cranford by Elizabeth Gaskell, which is a Victorian novel, um, but it's super small. It's less than 200 pages uh, or maybe just over. I mean, I'm thinking compared to like Dickens, you know, or even anything else that Elizabeth Gaskell wrote. It's little. Um, and it is so easy to read and so sweet. And I feel like, you know, it doesn't have like the war torn heart stuff that Guernsey does but it's got that same kind of everything is awash in a nostalgic glow sort of a thing um, and it's just like lovely and charming and nothing happens it's it takes place in this tiny little English country town in the mid-19th century that's based on um, a little you know like village where Elizabeth Gaskell grew up and you're just following like the lives of the women who live there mainly and some uh, male side characters. But mostly it's two middle-aged spinster sisters who are living together, Miss Maddie and Miss Deborah. And she re- describes them as living in like reduced circumstances, which is like very nice Victorian code for they're just super poor. <laughs> um, and so they are like just trying to make it, you know, and maintain their gentility. Uh, and then you you it's a series of vignettes. So you bounce between like their perspective and then the perspective of some of their neighbors and then like a far family whose child gets really sick and then like two people who are falling in love it's just very nice and like chill and I think that reading it in the summer is a, is a great time to read it because it's all very like sitting outside eating tea cakes you know and like calming especially if you're in the middle of a million classes where your brain is going a thousand miles an hour it doesn't have to go any miles an hour in Cranford nothing goes any miles an hour in Cranford everybody sits down and gossips and it's just the best so yeah that's Cranford by Elizabeth Gaskell Yeah, I do not have a book about Irish nationalism for you. I was looking at the vacationers mention, and it reminded me of a book I haven't recommended on the show for a while, which is The Wangs vs. the World by Jade Chang. And it is such a good summer book because it is a road trip novel. It's a family road trip novel. Um, It is about, as you might guess, the Wang family, who are on a road trip, but it's not like a fun times like family vacation road trip. It is because um, the father, Charles, is a businessman, um, immigrant from China, who has built like a cosmetics empire, but it's set during the late aughts and he his company has been ruined by the financial crisis. So he kind of like doesn't want to tell anybody, but he's like, well, I guess I have to tell the family. So he's like, all right, everybody put all your stuff in the car. We're going to go to uh, Sana's house. Sana is his oldest daughter who has a house in upstate New York of her own. Um And then I'm going to go to China to reclaim my family's ancestral lands. Uh, And, like, that's how we're going to fix this. Um, And so he pulls his two teenagers out of school um, while Andrew is in college and Grace is in high school. And then um, along with the stepmother, they all go on this, like, trip from Bel Air to upstate New York. And hijinks ensue. (laughs) And it's so sharp and funny and witty and just like totally engrossing. Um, Andrew, the college age son, is like an aspiring comedian, an aspiring stand-up comic. And some of the most awkwardly funny scenes are him trying to do stand-up at like random points along the way. Um, and then you see this like difficult relationship with the stepmother. And you're also getting Sana's story, who is just kind of like 
she used to be sort of an art, you know, world ingenue, and now she's trying to figure out what comes next in her life. And I just love it so much. And much like the Vacationers, it has a lot of those like difficult family interactions, but it's all leavened by this really great sense of humor that Jade Chang inserted into the book. And it's just so readable. It's so engrossing. It'll get you out of your class headspace and into just like, you know, it's like a great American novel in in a really fun package. So that is The Wangs versus the World by Jade Chang. Okay, question two is from Susan, who says, I'm looking for a specific type of book that I'm at a loss of where to find. I love, love, love the Little House on the Prairie series and have not been able to find any others like it. I enjoy reading about how people lived in the pioneer days. I recently read The Snow Child, which was a story of survival as well, and I enjoyed that too. Please find me books that are similar to those. I like fiction, nonfiction, historical. YA is fine, but please no short stories, poems, or graphic novels. Okay. Um, I picked The Birchbark House by Louise Erdrich, which is a children's series, and it is a series like Little House on the Prairie, so there are several. Um, and it is set in basically the same time frame, except it's told from the point of view of a seven-year-old Ojibwa girl named Omakayas, which means little frog. So she's an indigenous child who is found on... Uh, a, sp- a spirit island which is in Lake Superior I'm pretty sure um, and she's the sole survivor of a smallpox epidemic and she's taken in by a woman named Tallow and then raised um, with an Ojibwe family uh, on Madeline Island which is also in Lake Superior so, and, so you follow her and her adopted family through a cycle of the seasons you know like a winter to a winter in 1847. And it is just in the same way that like we're really reading Little House on the Prairie to discover how people made pancakes back then. Like it's the same <laughs> kind of thing. Like you are 100% reading this book to yes. find out like how they tanned moose hides. Like that mm-hmm. sort of interesting details of living, you know, pre-industrial revolution and without electricity Um and when you're like miles from your neighbors, uh, but they're there since they live on an island, it's not quite that situation where like the nearest human being is 20 miles away. There are people within walking distance and all of those people are hilarious. There's like a single old lady who lives up the road um, who's very like eccentric and kind of fulfills that role in the story of like the nutty sort of old lady of the village. Um, and there's also a single like single young guy who doesn't know how to cook and like the the shenanigans he gets up to um and she has uh omakaius has some siblings who are equally annoying and fascinating in the same way that in little house on the prairie she has siblings who are also annoying and fascinating um but yeah and it's it's like quiet and calm and it does end well not end but there is a uh, another outbreak of smallpox that overtakes the island when she's a child of seven or eight that actually did happen to the tribe that was living on Madeline Island at the time and so you follow her as her family goes through that illness and recovers um and what they do to kind of treat the symptoms and all of that kind of thing. So, yeah. So that's The Birchbark House by Louise Erdrich. Maple candy is the thing I remember them making yes. the most. Yes. From Little Maple House. candy. Yeah. I, gee, yes. You're right. Now I want some. Okay. <laughs> you could make it. I could because I've read the we, book and I know how. We have the technology. Um, Okay. I was thinking about this and I was trying to think of survivor stories. And then I remembered Burial Rites by Hannah Kent, which is also set in the, it's set in the early 1800s in Iceland. And this is definitely a landscape 
like much like the prairies where you know you have these very isolated farms and like somewhere there's a city but the city is far far away um and you know the priest is making like the random visiting rounds um and the thing that's different of course about this book is that it is about a woman who has been accused of murder um in uh this uh like in iceland's history instead of like jails um they would send the accused person to an isolated farm sort of under house arrest so like the family would have them now as a worker on the farm and there would be guards but otherwise they're just like around uh with this host family and so the family who's been chosen to host her, not super jazzed about having a murderess in the house. Um, the farmer's wife is very upset about it, but she's trying to like make, you know, deal with the situation and put Agnes to work. And then in the meantime, um, the local priest is trying to like draw out a full confession from her because basically everybody knows that the guy that she's accused of murdering ended up dead, but nobody quite knows how it happened. Um, and so the, and she's been sentenced to death. Uh, so you're trying to figure out, like, is she going to confess fully? Is she innocent? Like, what has happened here? Are they going to execute her? Like, what is going to happen? Um, and this is all based on a true story. Um, Hannah Kent did a bunch of research about a woman in this basically very situation, and that inspired this book. So it's very historically rooted. There's definitely a lot of scenes of, like, you know, how did they farm and how did they cook and where did everybody sleep in the house and, like, what was the floor? made of like you know all of these things that are so um that build the world of pioneer days you're gonna get a very similar setting experience with this with the added like murder plot so that is burial rights by hannah kent all right, next question is from Kristen, who says, uh, my cousin slash bestie's mother-in-law is starting chemotherapy and radiation, and they would like to read something light and easy together. My cousin loved the Twilight series, and she and her mother-in-law like Nicholas Sparks and Danielle Steele, both of them, but especially her mother-in-law are progressive, and uh, the mother-in-law isn't religious. Do you have any uplifting books for them to read? I think they would prefer something that distracts them a bit from the cancer and the physical and emotional pain it causes. So I'd rather not be about anyone dying or that focuses a large part of the plot on being ill. Um, that said, if it is an uplifting story about someone overcoming a serious illness and you think it would be a good fit for them, I'd certainly consider it. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked A Curious Beginning by Deanna Rayborn, uh, which is the first book in the Veronica Speedwell series. And this is historical fiction, romance, mystery, fun times <laughs> let's name all the genres that exist um that takes place in victorian england and the main character's name is veronica and she's just been well she is an orphan her parents are dead and she's been living with her spinster aunts why are all of my books about spinster aunts i wonder why <laughs> <laughs> um and so she yeah she her aunt has just died and she's buried her she's grown veronica is grown and so she is looking that like now that the last relatives that she has on this earth are gone she's uh decided she's going to go off and go back to resuming her like her world travels because this is what she does she's a um, i don't remember lepidopterist i think is the term she's a butterfly scientist yes oh nailed it um and so she like travels has traveled the world her whole young adulthood um studying butterflies and being like a natural scientist and she's just gonna go back to doing that she doesn't have any money she doesn't have any um like family left or friends or anything and except when she gets home 
to attend the funeral, she goes back to her aunt's house to like close it up and, you know, pack up the last of her belongings. And someone tries to kidnap her. And she's totally like confused because she has no money. And like she just assumes that it's somebody who read about the funeral in the newspaper and was coming to like raid the house or something like that. Um, but the attempted abduction is, is like thwarted by this German baron who saves her, uh, even though she was pretty much like saving herself in the moment. But he comes on and does this heroic thing and he takes her off to London. She agrees to go because she wanted to get to London anyway and now it's free, so yay to that. And then he leaves her with his friend Stoker, who's also a natural historian and who will protect her while he goes to figure out this mystery about her that uh, he won't give her any clues to. So she really has no idea what's going on, but she likes this German baron. Um, He's older and very sweet and he kind of hints that he knows some things about her mother who she didn't know anything about. So she's hanging out with Stoker, this grumpy natural historian waiting for for the Baron to come back, but he doesn't. He ends up murdered. And Stoker ends up being the prime suspect. So Stoker and Veronica flee. Um, and they end up joining a circus <laughs> um, in order to hide because they end up in the newspaper. Um, and all the while, you are still trying to solve this mystery of who Veronica is and who her parents were um, and why the Baron came to find her that day when her aunt died in the first place. Uh, and Stoker and Veronica develop this romance along the way. He is a jerk. Like, he's very much this kind of alpha guy who doesn't um, take Veronica seriously. He doesn't take her science seriously at first. And she does. Like, she's stands for none of his guff, which is just great to read, especially in a Victorian uh, set in, Vic- in the a book set in the Victorian times. She's very blue stocking-y and like just feminists him into silence throughout the whole book. And it's just, it's delightful. And it's like laugh out loud funny. It's super, super funny. Um, So yeah, that's A Curious Beginning by Deanna Rayborn. Yeah, I also went with distracting because I have a hard time coming up Mm. with things that are uplifting. I don't know why that's so hard, but it is. Um, So I picked for you A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness, which is the first in the All Souls trilogy. Um, And the show is coming out and there's like a book set in the world. So I thought um, if this, you know, situation lasts for any length of time for them. Like, there's lots of distraction material here if they like it. Um, So, uh, A Discovery of Witches is about a young woman who is a graduate student in Oxford. Um, She is, like, studying ancient manuscripts and she herself is a descendant of witches but wants nothing to do with magic she's like i am gonna be normal i'm gonna live a normal scholarly life like i (laughs) want nothing to do with all of that um but in the course of her research she accidentally pulls a alchemical manuscript from the bodleian library and then suddenly like her being in possession of this manuscript means that all of these other people involved in the supernatural world now know who she is and they all want the book um but it it appears that she is like the only one who can actually summon it due to a curse um and so she is sucked willy-nilly into this supernatural plot that she is kind of not prepared for because she has been avoiding all of this magic stuff her entire life. Um, and the uh, heroic lead is a vampire who is also a geneticist because of course he is um, whose name is Matthew and he at first appears to be like just another person who's maybe threatening her but then of course they start to fall in love and um, there's like time travel and there's magic and there's these great ants who live in this creepy old haunted house um, and it's just it's it's just a really absorbing and fun 
fantasy novel with a dash of the contemporary world in it. So there's just a lot to get lost in. And it's a good book for sort of like a book groupy situation because you can talk about favorite characters and plot decisions and like, oh, why did she do that thing? And oh, I, she should have done this or whatever. Like, it's always good for that kind of thing. So and um, they've started to release uh, images for, of the cast from the TV show. Um, so there's always a fun like fan casting element for me. So that again is a discovery of witches by Deborah Harkness. Okay, our next question is from Chloe who says, I'm looking for... I can't hear you. You still there? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I muted myself. Okay. Our next question is from Chloe who says that she's looking for a recommendation for her mom whose birthday is right around the corner along with Mother's Day. She's an avid and curious reader who loves plants and gardening, food, historical fiction, cute feel-good stories, and books with great writing. She also likes current books, books that are on the new release or hot read shelf at the library and that she hears about on NPR. Same. <laughs> Some books that she's really enjoyed have been Lab Girl, Stay With Me, The Sympathizer, Elegance of the Hedgehog, and Goodbye Vitamin. She doesn't like books that that are heavy-handed with their message or that have an unrealistic or unrelatable plot. Hopefully that will help you or me out and I can kneel her birthday gift this year. Okay, I went with Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, um, which is experiencing a surge in popularity for reasons I don't know. It came out in 2013, um, and when I, I heard about it, because someone at BookRiot recommended it. And then when I went to buy it from my indie bookstore, the owner said that he couldn't keep copies of this book on the shelves and he couldn't figure out why. So it's pro- it should be on the hot read shelf at the library, but I can't. I don't know why. Like maybe it was mentioned on NPR. No idea. Um, but it's, it came out a few years ago and is experiencing this nice, uh, nice bump. So it's nonfiction. Robin Wall Kimmerer is a... Eth- uh, etno, she's a botanist, and she's also a member of the Potawatomi Nation. So she's an indigenous botanist scientist, and the subtitle of the book is Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants. And I picked this one because you said she likes Lab Girl, um, and also plants, gardening, and books that have great writing. And Kimmerer is also a poet, so it's this lovely combination of scientific writing. Um, nature writing and her 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 way of constructing sentences very much feels like oh a poet has written this um, and it's a it's a really great blend of uh, talking about her people's beliefs uh, and traditions surrounding plants and how they've used them to teach lessons um, or to learn lessons about how to function in the world uh, and also how they use plants in their uh, ceremonies and in their everyday lives and things like that. And then she also comes at it from a scientific perspective. Um, So you get a lot of here is how plants communicate with each other with pheromones. And then also here is how the way that plants communicate each other has taught my people to communicate with each other. So it's it's coming at it from two really interesting points of view. Um, And yeah, poet. I already said she was poet. So I feel like if you if you liked Lab Girl, I think Lab Girl had that same thing where it was this combination of lots and lots of science, but also lots of both internal and external considerations of the wisdom we can get from the natural world. Um, And her writing was also really poetic. So yeah, that's Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Nice. I was literally putting that on hold as you were talking about it. It's great. It's great. (laughs) 
Um, speaking of books that you might hear about NPR about on NPR or that are on the new releases shelf, I picked How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi, which is a nonfiction essay collection um, by an author you have probably heard us talk a lot about if you've listened to the show before. Um, Alexander Chi is an amazing novelist, and this is a sort of memoirish essay collection um, about a lot of different parts of his life. And it's so good. Um, And the essays cover a huge range of topics. So, you know, one of them is about um, coming to terms with his father's death. And another one is about the work that he did uh, in the AIDS activism community. Um, And then another one is about, like, being a cater waiter. Um, And another one is about, like, growing roses in his backyard in Brooklyn. Um, There is an essay that, like, the most difficult essay in there is about um, this uh, sort of child abuse that he experienced, um, but it's 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 really well done and it is very moving, um, and I think it's also very important uh, for us to talk about these things. Um, but yeah, there's it's just a hugely wide ranging essay collection. It's beautifully written. He's so good with words, um, and he just has a really amazing perspective. It's it's just yeah, like I don't know how to tell you it's so great aside from saying it's so great. Um, and I think that there is a lot that she would be interested in. Um, and it's all very rooted in his personal experiences. And I think that that is what makes it so powerful. So that is How to Write an Autobiographical Novel uh, by Alexander Chi. And it is time for our second sponsor, which is First Lessons by Lina... Lena. I'm going to go with Lena. First Lessons by Lena J. Potter. Um, When a witty medical student named Aaliyah's life uh, is cut short in a tragic accident, she discovers that she is given another chance at life. She finds herself reborn into the body of a countess named Lillian. And now Aaliyah must use her mind and her skills in a society where women are oppressed, uh, protect herself from assassination attempts like you do, build alliances with peasants and sea raiders and members of the the royal family and her own errant husband. So, First Lessons is the first of five volumes in uh, Lena J. Potter's best-selling medieval tale series. So, the question that we are answering here is: Will Aaliyah forge her own happy ever after, and if so, at what cost? So, if you are looking for stories about strong heroines, um, middle age stories, and time travel fiction, middle age is like the time period, not the personal age. <laughs> Uh, this is definitely one that you will want to check out. So again, that's First Lessons by Lena J. Potter, and that is the first in the Medieval Tale series. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, still me. Uh, our next question is from Tanya, who says, I have a book swap quickly approaching with a complete stranger. It is a slasher-themed swap, which I have understood to mean horror or dark psychological suspense. My partner has listed Stephen King, Grady Hendrix, Richard Lehman, Anne Rice, and James Newman as her favorite authors. She's read and enjoyed The Grip of It by Jack Gems, uh, Bird Box by Josh Mallerman, Universal Harvester by John Darnielle, Nosferatu, and Little Heaven. She'd not particu- she did not particularly enjoy final girls or mapping the interior could you recommend a book or two for this swap what you got amanda okay my pick is broken monsters by lauren bucus which i will have a trigger warning here for harm to children and everyone else everyone else gets harmed but if specifically kids because the book opens uh, with the discovery of a murder in detroit that is 
just the weirdest. The body that is discovered is ha- is the top half of a boy sewn onto the bottom half of a deer. And the detective who's put in charge of solving this case, her name is Gabriella Versado, um, and she has a teenage daughter named Layla. And so she, you know, sets out to solve this really disturbing murder at the same time that she's trying to raise her daughter and keep her kid out of trouble, which doesn't happen. Her daughter starts this really dangerous um, interaction with a predator online. She does it on purpose, like she's catfishing the guy. Um, And then there are other side characters who come in as the murders escalate and become, you know, even more strange. It's obviously a serial killer in Detroit. Um, So you have Jono, who's this freelance journalist who's in Detroit looking to find, you know, like get the scoop on this really terrifying story. And he's just the worst. Like he's the worst character. You just want to... I don't know. I'm like, I'm making a strangling motion right now. You can't see me. I don't know why I do that. Um, There's also a character named Thomas uh, who knows that something weird is happening, that it's not necessarily um, just a killer. Like, there might be some kind of supernatural element to what's going on. Um, And he just wants to keep all of his friends and family safe and all of his friends and family are homeless. And so he is working on the streets of Detroit to keep them out of this situation. Doors are appearing in random places. Um, Tattoos are flying off people's bodies. It is weird. (laughs) Like, it's just the weirdest, the weirdest murder mystery I think I've probably ever read. Um, And it's, it's, I think a Stephen King fan, because Stephen, so many of Stephen King's novels are, are, supernatural light almost like they have terrible people in them and they're these really uh thick and interesting murder mysteries that are like a tick off like something is just not that you know i mean obviously a murder mystery is a tick off anyway because murder is a tick off but like a tick off from normal quote-unquote murder mysteries where there's maybe a supernatural thing going on um and so and gabriella the detective is such a good character like she is just doing the thing keeping her life together trying to watch over her kid trying to solve this murder trying to survive in the detroit homicide squad with a bunch of sexist dudes and like she does it she's the best so that's broken monsters by lauren bucus I asked Liberty from (laughs) All the Books for some help with this one because slashers is not a thing I read a lot of. And she highly recommends Security by Gina Walsdorf, which does indeed sound perfect. Um, It takes place in the Manderley Resort, which if that is not a call out to Rebecca, I don't know what is. Um, Excuse me. And so this is a brand new 20-story hotel on the California coast um, that is about to open. And and just before it gets opened, um, over the book takes place over a course of 12 hours, and the staff has no idea that they're being watched, and they start to be killed off one by one. So it's a closed room slash closed hotel, uh, super, like, secure, you know, nightmare situation. Um, like, literally everyone is getting slashed and killed. So <laughs> so I feel like that will be ideal for this person's interests. Um so, yes, uh, it is in the tradition of Edgar Allan Poe and Stephen King, um, and it is indeed about Daphne du Maurier, Rebecca. Uh, so I feel like that is a definite. I actually almost want to read this. Like, I don't really like bloody, Ooh, bloody stories, yeah. but like I, this is a combination of things that I am like, maybe I should maybe I should try it. We'll see. Um, so, yes, but perhaps your book swap partner will like it. So, again, that's Security by Gina Walsdorf with a thanks to Liberty for that recommendation. 
All right. Question six is from Allison, who says, my sister's trying to get into reading and keeps coming to me for book requests, which is great, but I've run out of ideas. She likes reading Nicholas Sparks, Sarah Dessen, and John Green, but I believe at this point she's read them all. She's also thoroughly enjoyed Leaving Time by Jodi Pico, mostly because the plot kept her interested, and she loved the sections about the elephants. I got her Where'd You Go Bernadette for her birthday, which she seemed excited for but hasn't read yet. She loves the outdoors, animals, and nature, and just needs a plot line that's going to keep her interested from beginning to end. Okay, I latched on to the Nicholas Sparks, Sarah Dustin, John Green thing and went with When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandhya Menon, which is a YA contemporary romance that I think will hit a lot of the Sarah Dustin, John Green kind of feelings. Uh, I mean, like, nobody is sick in this book, so maybe not so much the John Green feelings, but the Sarah Dustin ones, yes, it's very sweet. Um, it's about a girl named Dimple Shaw who has just graduated from high school, and she is trying to get to um, – oh, I don't remember what college it is, but there's a summer program for – STEM kids who are interested in STEM where it's a competition and they call they all come together and design an app and the winning group gets mentored by this person who is Dimple's like idol in computer programming and so she wants to go there and do this thing and like become successful and all she wants to do is have a nice career and she just and like get into computer programming and make the apps that she wants to make um, but her mother really wants her to stop doing all of that learn how to put on eyeliner and get married but Dimple is completely uninterested in that she is interested in web development not interested in husbands web yes husbands no uh, <laughs> so she gets permission somehow like it, out of the blue, her parents allow her to go. She's super surprised, but she doesn't, you know, ask questions, and she goes. Uh, turns out they said yes because Rishi Patel is also going, and Rishi Patel is the boy who her parents have arranged for her to marry without telling her. Um, and so Rishi does not know that Dimple is unaware that this arrangement has been made, and he's into it. Like, he's going to the summer program because he, like, wants to go to the summer program also, but mostly because Dimple is there and he wants to meet her. He knows that his parents have arranged this marriage um, and is fine with it. Rishi is such a sweet character. He's like the cinnamon rolliest of cinnamon rolls and is like just very respectful of his parents and really um, has a deep appreciation for like traditions of his culture. And he thinks that Dimple is the same way. Dimple is not the same way. No, he meets her. He like recognizes her from a picture, meets her uh, in a courtyard and she throws a nice coffee at him because he, he, she thinks that he's like some creep who's trying to talk her into marrying him as no idea what's going on um and then you know after that first initial disaster of a meeting the two of them befriend each other and then things proceed from there um there have been like there's been some talk online i've seen when the book first came out that dimple is abusive because she throws a coffee at the guy and that i think i don't know if i need to say this but i'm saying it anyway is complete and total nonsense like it, it just whatever so if you see that out there when you're like looking for reviews of it it whatever just skip that it's I can't, I, I, that's what I'm doing. I'm like making growly. And then I'm going to go on this rant about how characters of color are expected to have different behavioral standards, the white characters, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it's a lovely, lovely romantic young adult novel about two fully formed, excellent, sweet, feisty characters who you just want to bear hug both of them at the same time. But then they might make out when they're in your arms and that would be weird. So that's when Dimple Met Ricci <laughs> by Sandhya Menon. That, that went really off the rails, I know. but that's fine. <laughs> Oh, it's great. I started um, thinking about the reviews of it, and then I got I mad. No, <laughs> It happens. Listen, I agree with you. She throws an iced coffee at a guy who, like, literally accosts her and calls her his future wife. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I have, yeah, I have never been in that situation, but I can only imagine I would do something similar. Mm -hmm. um, okay. 
the thing about elephants like really stuck in my brain and so my pick for you is water for elephants by sarah gruen remember this book it came out so long ago but it is a good one um it is a historical novel set in the 1930s and it is about a circus um that has elephants surprise uh the main character his name is jacob jankowski is uh is a grown-up but he has recently lost both of his parents and he's sort of adrift in the world um, and he decides to jump onto a passing train because he just kind of doesn't know what to do with himself and um, happens to pick a train that has a circus on it. Um, it's a second rate circus. They're struggling to make it, you know, in the Great Depression um doing all these stops in, you know, town after town, one night only, that kind of thing. Um, And he is a veterinary student who has almost earned his degree. And because of that, he is put in charge of the circus menagerie. Um, And so there's this elephant named Rosie who seems like totally untrainable, but he's like determined to save her from who knows what happens to elephants who don't perform properly in circuses. Nothing good. Um, There's also a young woman, the star of the equestrian act, named Marlena who is married of course to uh, the animal trainer and so there's like a love triangle situation there um, and it is a really like it, it does have a lot of those Jody Pico feels like it's a really it's not like a bright super happy easy story but it's a like it'll give you all the feelings um, and it goes in a good place um, and it's about like love and beating the odds um, and also this you know story of the Great Depression um, and it's a circus story like there's a lot going on here there's a lot there's a reason that this book became a bestseller was a movie it was like the book that every book club was reading for a while like there's reasons so I think that if if she has not read it already, this is definitely one that she should pick up. And the author has written other books, so she likes that there's more. So that is Water for Elephants by Sarah Gruen. All right. Next uh, question is from KS, who says, I'm in my late 20s and have never been in a relationship. The short way to put it is that I'd make friends rather slowly, have never found the idea of romance that appealing, and haven't yet met anyone to change my mind. I do want a partner, though, and have tentatively started dating, but I'm not finding the process much fun. Can I just interject that I also hate dating? Like, you are (laughs) not alone, my friend. Mm -hmm. Not alone. Not alone. It's the worst. Um, Okay, back to the question. I wonder if you could recommend a sweethearted story with an older, skeptical, or inexperienced narrator with a similar mindset and a happy ending in the ballpark of the Rosie Project, maybe. I've read Persuasion and Attachments. Um, A romance would be fine, but it's also okay for the relationship to be off to the side. I'm fine with straight or LGBTQIA. Steamy bits are welcome. And I've had some luck with fantasy settings where the relationships are arranged slash excuse me, arranged slash necessary for magical health, etc. No YA and please no trigger warnings. I'm just going to keep talking. I picked for you One Good Earl Deserves a Lover by Sarah McLean, which Amanda actually randomly talked about on um, mm-hmm. all the books this week that you'll hear that. And it is there's good reasons why we're obsessed with this book even years after it came out. It's so good. Um, Lady Philippa Marbury is the heroine, and she is like described by... This is a historical. It's a regency. So she's described by the rest of high society as odd. Um 
she is very smart and she is super into science, specifically like plants. Um, and she loves to read and she wears glasses and she doesn't care that, you know, they are considered to make her less pretty. Um, and she is getting engaged. Um, like she's almost going to marry this guy, Lord Castleton. But she's like, well, I believe in science and experimentation and I am going into this marriage blind. Like I don't know anything about, you know, sex or romance. And I feel like I need to prepare myself adequately for this experience. Um, and so she's like, hmm, how can I conduct this experiment? I know. I'll go to a gaming hell and ask one of the bookkeepers there to ruin me. Like, I, that's, this seems like a good plan, right? Um, but she has decided that she wants to, like, she doesn't want to ruin herself publicly. She just wants to know what's going on. And the only way to do that is to have, like, a stealth affair. And then this guy has, like, a reputation, a big reputation around town for, like, being a person who is very, like, who gets around, but who also treats the women that he has been around with well. Like, he's not intentionally, like, ruining anybody. He's supposed to be very discreet. So she's like, great. I will have a scientific experiment with this man, and I will go into my marriage prepared um of course that is not at all what happens <laughs> and uh cross who is the guy from the gaming hell and her start to fall for each other um so she has to figure out what to do about it um and her her brain is very analytical as you might have guessed and it's really lovely because it's never sort of made a bad thing like it's just like this is who she is this is how she thinks and she's gonna like you know rationalize and logic her way through these increasingly complicated situations that she finds herself in but she's also not afraid of feelings um, she has to learn how to deal with them but she's not afraid of them and it's a really beautiful combination and you said you were down with steamy bits and who boy hmm. this book has some steamy bits in it so it is technically the second in the rule of scoundrel series but you don't need to have read the others and if you like it I do recommend reading the whole series it's a really wonderful. Sarah McLean is just great. Um, so yeah, that's One Good Earl Deserves a Lover by Sarah McLean. Okay, I picked The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabriel Zevin, which is my personal favorite novel about a cranky man finding love. <laughs> um, so A.J. is just the cantankerousest. That's not a word. It's fine. Um, he owns a bookstore on an island called Alice Island. It's a small independent bookstore, and he's miserable. His wife has died recently, so he's a widower. Um, his bookstore, the sales are not good. It's not performing very well, and he's been robbed. He owns this collection of Poe poems that's very rare that has been stolen. So he's just in a mood, and he treats everyone really poorly, um, and including like his sister or his sister-in-law who who you know like shows up every day with food and to make sure he's still alive and that sort of thing um there is amelia who is a new sales rep from uh, a, a press who comes and refuses to stop coming despite the fact that he is just the rudest to her um and i aj he's like a, he's a difficult character to like at first because i mean you know all the reasons why he is the way he is and they're totally understandable but he's also like a total snob about books, um, which I think a lot of readers kind of liked if you go by the reviews. Uh, but he gets very, like, snooty about books with vampires in them and all of this sorts of thing. And Amelia is 
a total geek and like a sci-fi nerd and is really a great character. Uh, and then one day a baby shows up on his doorstep and his whole life turns upside down. She's this toddler and no one knows where she came from. She just like appears at his door and he keeps her, like doesn't know what to do with her. And at first it's very much like I'm going to hold this child in the store here until social services show up. And then this series of event happens, series of events occur where she just stays with him longer and longer and longer. And, um, you know, melts his cold, cold icicle of heart. And he starts <laughs> developing, like, actual relationships with human beings again. And it's just very sweet and heartwarming. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, books and literature and all of the things that stories can do for you when you're sad. Um, but, yeah, he is very much a cynical, jaded character at the beginning who finds love um but it isn't just about finding romantic love. It's also about, you know, like becoming a father and uh, appreciating your friends who were there for you in times when you didn't necessarily appreciate them and all those sorts of things. So it's about relationship in general. So that's The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabriel Zevin. That's our show. That's our show. Huzzah! Thank you so Yay. much for listening. Please go leave us a rating or a review, or both, and or a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson, and Jen is on Tumblr. That's right. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. And we will talk to you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>